Happy National Sandwich Month. This is Liz, and here's what Popping Collars is baking up for your podcast feed in the month of August 2022. You're used to us serving up the traditional wrap of religion, hiding in pop culture. But this month, we flip all of that around when we talk about our favorite popular representations of church and faith. We've added some garnish to our latest episode of The Canon when our brand new panel of guests draft their favorite movie musicals. Going on 30 comes with an extra slice of cheese this month when Betsy and Greg look back at the melodramatic classic The Prince of Tides. Greg is looking back on his Camino de Santiago journey with special guest Ryan Parker on this month's Sacred Six. The two of them chew on the physically hardest crust of the Camino Trail when they talk about the region of Basque Country and Navarre. Finally, the Popping Collars Book Club is back this month as Ricardo and I grill the latest books we've been reading. Thanks to listening to the PBNJ of Episcopal Podcasts that keeps the chips on the side and the collars popped. Welcome back to the Sacred Six. Sometimes an item in pop culture is just too big for one podcast episode. That's where this show steps in. I'm your host, Greg Knight. With me is my very special guest, Ryan Parker. How are you, Ryan? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me back. It's good to be here. Absolutely. I thought I was only going to get you for one episode, and here I am. I'm getting you for all six because <laughs> uh, I need to break up this podcast. Otherwise, it would just be Camino Greg and me, Greg, talking the whole time. <laughs> so. Ryan and I are looking back at our individual experiences of hiking the Camino de Santiago in Spain. And this month, we're focusing on the region of Basque Country and Navarra. So, Ryan, just to jog your memory, what we're talking about here is those giant hikes through the Pyrenees to start and then those big downhills over the next few days afterwards. Yep. So is there a story that you remember from sort of physically walking that part of the trail? Yeah. You know, that first week, uh, well, let me back up. Everybody says the first day is the hardest, maybe the first two days, right? Because sometimes people break it up. Uh, they walk very short distance from St. Jean to the town always escapes me, but it's only like a couple miles away. And there's, um, you know, an albergue that you can stay in. But really, that's just a very, very short day. So a lot of people don't break it up and they do the full first day, which is a very long first hike, as you said, through the Pyrenees, uphill, gravel footing, not fun. But really, that whole first week is like that. You know, it's getting to Pamplona. You really don't start to kind of settle out in the the walk, at least in my memory, that the walking became a little bit more comfortable around Pamplona, I think, or is it Logroño? Either way, it was... It felt like the first week for us was very difficult because of the terrain. It is the day before we start walking the Camino de Santiago, and we are in saint jean pied de port Fun facts about saint jean pied de port saint jean or Donabane Garazi, as it is known in Basque, 
Remember that the French border aside, this town was once a part of Lower Navarra, and the Basque language is common here, as it is over the pass, was founded in the late 12th century by the kings of Navarra and served as the capital of Navarra. Okay, so the best place to begin is here at Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port. Uh, which starts the actual Camino Frances. I'm sitting here along the banks of a river, watching a dog fetch sticks out of ice-cold water. And I'm looking at my feet, and I've got one foot that's covered in blisters, and one foot that's blown up like a balloon. And I wonder how I got here. A week ago, I was leading a group of uh, teenagers from my church uh, on the Camino Inglés, which is a different route into Santiago de Compostela, a route that only takes about six days, but uh, has already taken a toll on my poor little feet. So I'll be starting this big old Camino experience with you guys, uh, not at 100%. And here's the problem. Tomorrow, when we start, it's going to be the hardest day of the entire trip. So am I going to make it? I guess we'll find out. I will say this. When we were driving over here, I had this sort of melancholy feeling where I was like, you know, I really want to do this, but maybe I don't. I think that that's kind of, I don't know, that's probably a little normal. Like, there's the idea of the Camino, and I think that I'm pretty well-versed in that at this point. I know all the stories, I know all the legends, I know all the guidebook stuff, but then there's the actual doing of the Camino. That's the part that I'm a little less sure of. In the meantime, just taking in the beauty of this um, very cool, very French uh, medieval town at the base of the mountain. It is day one of the Camino de Santiago, and we are heading from Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port to Roncesvalles. Some fun facts about Roncesvalles. Roncesvalles is the setting for the epic battle between Roland and Charlemagne's rear guard. The Basques ambushed and destroyed the guard. Roland perished and a legend was born. Centuries later, the church would capitalize on the name, and the abbey here controlled a significant territory up and down the valley as far as Pamplona. Just now walking out of St. Jean. Very first few steps of the Camino. It's 5.30 in the morning because it's been blazing hot here in France and Spain. So, trying to walk as much of this at night as possible. All right, uh, and what's ahead of me is one giant mountain that I'm going to be going from 200 to 1400 meters uh, very quickly. So we'll see how it goes. Oh man. Okay. So I promise this isn't going to be a Blow by blow, retelling of every step of the Camino de Santiago. That's going to take way too long. But just let me tell you, I just climbed a mountain, you guys. 
if you take the Napoleonic route out of Saint-Jean and you climb up over the Pyrenees, get ready. Your lungs are going to be burning by the time you reach the first stop. It is, uh, it's quite the climb, but I got to tell you, I'm looking out at these baby mountains surrounding me and it is gorgeous. So totally worth it, but totally difficult. It is day two of the Camino de Santiago, and we are walking from Roncesvalles to Zubiri. Fun facts about Zubiri. The name Zubiri comes from the Basque word for both bridge and pueblo. And the bridge they spoke about is the one over the river Arga, known as the Puente de la Rabia. The bridge itself was thought to cure rabies and hydrophobia in animals. And rituals of crossing the bridge with them or circling its base a number of times were all that it took to work miracles. These miracles were later Christianized and attributed to Santa Quiteria. We made it over all those amazing Pyrenees mountain ranges uh, from Saint-Jean to Roncesvalles. Okay, so fun fact and quick pro tip. You know, the Spanish considered the start of the Camino de Santiago as Roncesvalles, right? It's this town just on the border of France. I think St. John is the starting point because it's like the hub of like a bunch of different walks that all come together there. And so the Camino kind of got pushed back to that part. I gotta tell you, if it were up to me, I'm just starting Roncesvalles, you guys. Like, that's a crazy walk that we just did yesterday. Uh, My body's feeling it. It's up a mountain. It's down a mountain. And it's everything in between. So, if I had it to do over again, probably just skip that first day. It's funny, I'm just kind of focused on all the physical stuff uh, right now. And haven't really gotten into sort of the mental, spiritual stuff. Just trying to get into the rhythm of what it's like to be on the Camino. But I slept okay in the dorm last night. And... Uh, So I'm looking forward to what's coming up. You know, something that I didn't think would hit me quite as hard as it does are all the markers for people that have lost their lives on the Camino. And as you can probably imagine, there's quite a few of them coming over the Pyrenees, like leaving St. Jean... And going into Roncesvalles, there's a there's a lot of markers. There's a lot of memorials uh, dedicated to pilgrims. Some of them young, some of them old. But even here, sort of all through Navarra, there's plaques, memorials, dedications to pilgrims that have passed on the way. I mean, it really hits you, especially when you're out here and you're walking. Not necessarily how precarious it is, but just that there were people who, you know, this could have been their dream, this could have been their one last time, this could have been their first time, and for whatever reason, they fell. And 
I don't know. Uh, it makes you feel lucky. It makes you feel grateful. But it also makes you feel like this is a very human thing that we're in the middle of. And uh, humans die. It's hard. But uh, I don't know. It feels It feels important to continue walking these footsteps in memory of these folks uh, that you see their names as you go by. It is day three of the Camino de Santiago and we are walking from Zubiri to Pamplona. Uh, Fun facts about Pamplona. Pamplona has been a city of importance since the year 75 BC. It was then that the Roman general Pompileo set up a camp at what has always been a geographically strategic point. That the Camino passes through Pamplona is no coincidence. The geography dictates that it ought to. As such, some would say that Pamplona's history was written by the hills which have forever funneled Pyrenean traffic through this point. Indeed, it has a long and complicated history of conquest and reconquest, and for the five centuries that followed its capture by the Muslims in 718, little changed. They were eventually expelled from the city, but not the region, by the Basques, and for the subsequent 200 years, the power struggles that ensued were primarily motivated by the desire to keep them from regaining control. By the 12th century, things had calmed down, enough for the city to begin growing in earnest, and again, its geographic position made for a unique situation. It was, by all measures, a melting pot of cultures, with Basques from both sides of the French border, Castilians, Jews, and the remaining Muslim population, each carving out a barrio for themselves. Cooperation was scarce, and the city survived a cycle of growth and destruction as each group struggled to defend themselves while attacking the others. The situation was so intense that Pamplona has the distinction of being one of the few cities with defensive walls within the city rather than around it. What everyone tells you is going to happen has sort of started to happen, which is that, you know, community is starting to form. You start to meet up with other people, you start to have conversations, and then you realize that, like, you're going to be with these people for the next month. So you may as well, like get to know them a little bit better so you know that's what kind of happened like at the albergue last night met up with lots of folks we've been walking walking the trail with you know had dinner stuff like that um it's good it's still in the filling out process you know i don't know if there's a i don't know what that's called uh when you're in between like just meeting people and knowing that you know when we get to santiago we're gonna have like big hugs and tears we're not at that stage yet we're not at the beginning either we're somewhere in the middle and the early middle so uh yeah i don't know i think it's possible to walk this trail sort of in isolation but i don't think it's really that easy because at some point somebody's going to want to talk to you ask you a question stuff like that so you're gonna have to say something um community on the Camino. I think that's part of the process. We'll see how it turns out. Okay, so there is something that we need to talk about a little bit when it comes to what the rest of this Navara episode is going to be, which is that there are wildfires in the area, in the Navara area of Spain, which is 
basically um, everything that we've been walking so far, but the fires themselves are on the other side of Pamplona, which is where we're walking to today. So what could happen is that if the Camino is shut down due to fires, then I may have to spend some extra time in Pamplona or find an alternate route to the next town. Either take like an Uber or a bus or something like that. Not ideal, but uh, it is what it is. This has been a very, very hot uh, and dry summer here in Spain. Something that I'm sure sounds familiar to folks living on the West Coast back in America. It's, it's awful, uh, honestly, uh, because this doesn't have to happen. Um, we've uh, basically created nightmare scenarios every summer and winter um, for ourselves weather-wise. And uh, unfortunately, you know, it's likely that our great-grandchildren are going to have to suffer the extreme brunt of it, whatever that looks like. So... I'll keep you posted as we go along, but um, should the fires interrupt the trip, then that's what my Camino is. So we'll just have to see how it goes. So just at the suburbs outside of Pamplona and already like huge crowds, lots of cars. Um, it's weird being back in a city again. It's been a long time since I was in the city. Santiago was the last time. As a pilgrim, peregrino, right, in Spanish, like, uh, at no point have I ever felt more like a stranger kind of walking through city streets than, uh, than now. You know, your backpack draws a lot of eyes. Um, the fact that you look American, I think, draws a lot of eyes. And, uh, and so you just kind of feel like you stand out a little bit as you walk through towns. In a way that, uh, you know, the rural towns are a little more ho-hum about your presence. I think, you know, when you show up in the middle of a city, you become a bit of a curiosity. So, yeah, stranger in a strange land. That's what we're doing here. So, for instance, like when I was walking this summer, there were wildfires in this region, right? So, all oh, the yeah. people that I started with on the trail, they all bust ahead of me to Lagronio. And I ended up, I was like you, I was like, wait, but I've got, I've got to walk these days. Like, if I don't walk to Puente Lorena, then did I actually do the Camino? You yeah. know what I'm saying? And so, yeah. it was like, um, it, it became like this big sort of, choose your own adventure moment where it's like, okay, so I can either keep walking and, you know, I'll be by myself and, you know, all the people that I started this journey with are going to be ahead of me, or I can bus ahead and I'll always think to myself, what if like uh, how, you know, I'll, I'll always think like I missed those days Would that have affected uh -huh. how I thought about this. You know, yeah. I want to come back to this idea of what constitutes pilgrimage yeah. Uh, on the last section. So I'm sorry if we're spoiling anything, but I want to come back to this in a moment. Did you do a lot of planning for your Camino? Did you like read up on it, study well, about it, all of that stuff? Know, I think I had mentioned to you in the previous 
recording that we did before you left, you know, having worked on that film, I'll push you. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a huge influence on us. I mean, we read a few blog posts and a few tips, you know, all the articles that are like what to take and how to pack and yeah. all that kind of stuff. But we didn't really delve super deep into like the history of it or kind of the spirituality of it because we thought as maybe selfish as this sounds, I don't know. We, we thought like we want to have our own experience. Like I don't want to read too much about other people's experience of it. Right. Until we can have our own. So we, we kind of went in a little blind. Yeah. The other thing is like about this idea of expectations is like, you really have to get your legs under you. And that like, that's not just physically true. And this is probably what I would say is my learning edge for this area is that it's not just about physically learning how to walk the trail. It's about learning how albergues work. Like, who are you as a person and what is it that you're going to need in order to walk this, you know? Do I need to wake up before everybody else and speed walk to the next town so I can get a bed, you know? Yeah, yeah. Which we just weren't about doing that. (laughs) Or it's like, I hit Zubiri on a Sunday and everything was closed at three o'clock in the afternoon. So it's like... Wait, so how am I going to eat dinner in a town that has two bars and one like general store? Yeah, exactly. And if you talk about smaller than you expected, I mean, these are most of the places. I mean, I am excited to talk about other places like Pamplona and and different places like that, Lyon. But most of the places you're going through are they're not even a a stoplight town. Right. They have a stop sign, you know, to, to compare to small town America. But there's not a whole lot there. Like you said, if you end up on a Sunday, it's slim oh, pickings. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. If you're in a small town on a Sunday, look out, dude. Yeah, like I hope you brought a I hope you brought a Kindle, a fully loaded Kindle. <laughs> You've got a lot of time on your hands. Exactly. <laughs> it is day four, and we are walking, maybe. From Pamplona to Puente Lorena. Uh, fun facts about Puente Lorena. The name of this town is rather romantically attributed to the benefactor of the bridge over the Rio Arga. It is a nice sentiment, but not an altogether accurate one. In fact, historians quibble over which 11th century queen had it built. One thing is for certain, banditry continued to present a problem to the growing town, and in the 13th century, a wall was built to protect it. It was rectilinear in shape, and was not much bigger than the current town, and little remains. Just left uh, Pamplona, and this is a good time for a status update. Uh, This is kind of an example of how communication works when you're on the Camino. I can only imagine what it was like when COVID hit and they were scrambling to get pilgrims off of the trail as quickly as possible. But as I said in a previous update, I'm in the Navarra region of Spain right now and there is uh, there are fires uh, in this region right now. Uh, so what's happened is that the Navarran government has put a hold on pilgrims walking the uh, Camino. Okay, sorry. So, I got interrupted mid-update. What was I talking about? Communication on the Camino and fires. 
All right. So we started today with very little information about what it was that we were supposed to be doing and what it is that we were going to do. So, um, like I said before, there are fires in the Navarra region, wildfires. We don't want to walk into wildfires and we don't want to be in the way of people who are trying to uh, get wildfires under control, obviously. Um, however, it wasn't clear what the uh, word was as far as um, whether it was safe enough to walk or not for pilgrims on the Camino. So you end up with just kind of a mishmash. There's, there's an official word from the Navarran government saying, you know, please, um, if you can, stay in your albergues uh, while we clear everything up. There are some subtleties to these things that aren't necessarily um, clear in the official word. Uh, so anyway, so the Navarran government said, um, please just stay in your hostels. But uh, word from pilgrims that were on the trail was, that's okay. Like, we walked from here to here. There was nothing there. And then even conversations with locals, they would say, no, 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 yeah, it's fine. Just go on ahead. Um, you can make it to the next town, and then uh, they'll advise you what to do from there. So what ended up happening was that most of the group that we were walking with um, have decided to bypass the next four stages of the trail, and they've moved ahead to a town called Lagronio. Um, so they took a bus from Pamplona to Lagronio. I opted instead to just keep walking to the next town from Pamplona to Puente La Reina. And uh, I gotta say, probably not the best decision if you're in a foreign country and you've been officially advised, like, stay at your albergue, don't walk, um, probably follow that advice. Don't do what I do. However, quickly after I got on the trail and to one of the major towns um, on the trail today, I ran into a group of pilgrims, a massive group of pilgrims, who had stopped at a cafe um, about halfway to where my destination is. And they were like, yeah, we're headed to Puente Lorena right now. Talked to the shopkeeper and he was like, yeah, there's no, no fires in this area. You can easily make it to Puente Lorena. It's no problem. So all this is to say that like, it's really hard to know what to do. There's, um, there's the official word and then there's just kind of, I think what confuses things is that you're relying on Camino de Santiago message boards for sort of accurate information. And there isn't really accurate information on there. Um, it's just a lot of people who are probably at home in their countries just kind of offering up advice and then talking about like, wildfires from 2017 and talking about eucalyptus groves and Galicia. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, um, kind of like social media in general right now. There's just too much information and it's hard to know what to do because there's just too many pieces of information kind of floating around. 
So I opted to walk. Probably shouldn't have in the end. It's gorgeous. And uh, I'm going to stay on schedule and we'll make it to the next destination. And then the other side of that is that most of the people that I left with back in St. Jean are now four days ahead of me. And I'm likely never going to catch up to those folks. And so all that conversation that I had about community before, I mean, it was here and it was in the burgeoning stages and I was going to introduce you guys to like all the folks that I've met so far. And now they're all gone. And I'm back alone again, waiting to meet a new community of Camino folks. So I gotta tell you, that loss just kind of hit me hard this morning and uh just kind of processing it right now as i climb to the top of yet another mountain uh so we'll see what's on the other side i'll keep you posted as far as the fires go um but it looks like things are clearing up and we're gonna get this whole camino in i just walked through an area of the Camino affected by the wildfires. There was ash and soot on both sides of the trail. Everything was contained. There weren't any fires left. Uh, all that was happening was cleanup, digging through the debris, um, moving down power poles, things like that. But just devastating, just whole fields wiped out. And it's one of those things that, you know, after a wildfire has gone through, you can still sort of feel the heat coming off the ground as you walk past. Just a really humbling experience. Probably shouldn't be here, but that's going to be a part of this Camino that sticks with me for a while. It is day five on the Camino de Santiago, and we are walking from Puente Lorena to Estella. Fun facts about Estella. Geographically speaking, Estella sits to the north of what would otherwise be an easy walk west from Villa Tuerta. Its growth as a commercial center developed not because of pilgrims, as was the case in most places, but rather at the manipulations of King Sancho Ramirez at the end of the 11th century. And what started out as a giant cluster of people leaving every morning, you get to know them, you get to anticipate like when, when folks are going to be leaving, when folks are going to be sleeping in. Uh, now that big cluster of people are gone, and and now it's just it's just me, and I'm out here on the trail early in the morning, just walking. There's nobody in front of me. There's nobody behind me, and I feel a little isolated actually in the whole experience. It's strange because you know you started this experience with a lot of people and a lot of optimism and a lot of just I don't know good energy about the trip and to have that suddenly pivot and change to a very individual process just you know just a few days in is uh, 
I don't know. It, it's disorienting. It's kind of um, it's kind of turned this part of the trip on its head for me. Uh, I was anticipating something else, and I ended up with something different. Which, you know, as they say, part of the Camino experience. Like, your Camino is going to be your Camino. You know, I've always been a community guy. Like, that's how I experience my story of faith. That's how I experience like, my work. You know, I do it in community. I, I do it through collaboration. Like, that's, that's where I hear the voice of the Spirit. I don't do it in... It's sort of individual prayer or individual devotion or anything like that. That that stuff just kind of feels like I'm talking to myself. And, you know, <laughs> I'm just sitting here walking down a trail in Spain that I've never been on before and probably never will be on again. And I just kind of hear the voice of my spiritual director saying... Develop a private prayer life. Well, thanks. <laughs> Here I am. Uh, in the middle of nowhere by myself. I should probably develop something. If I'm going to get through this. Yeah, just two more days of walking in Navarra. Uh, big rainstorm last night. So uh, that helped with the fires. The way has been cleared. Uh, back open for people to walk on. So I'm no longer a criminal. Please don't hold that against me. But uh, on the news last night, they had some shots of the devastation from the fires. Just whole farms uh, and fields taken out by fire. Um, only, you know, three kilometers away from where we're staying. Four kilometers away from where we're staying. So, um, really humbling experience. And I, I feel for the people here and continue to hold them in my prayers. It is day six on the Camino de Santiago, and we are walking today from Estella to Los Arcos. Fun facts about Los Arcos. It is a frontier town. Logroño is near enough, and as a result, it saw its share of both destruction at the hands of land-hungry nobility and prosperity. Every border crossing meant paying a toll and exchanging currency, most likely paying a duty on your horse. Things are going a lot better. No fire damage that we could see yesterday. Um, I think that that's pretty much in our rear view at this point. We have officially been cleared to walk as of yesterday, so um, so things are fine. You know, I had a conversation with the lady that ran our albergue uh, last night. Um, she's American. She's from Michigan, and uh, she works for an organization called, uh, uh, I don't know, American Pilgrim something? American Pilgrim Office? She was saying that um, they had to bus in a bunch of kids to their albergue on last Sunday night. So that would have been my sort of day two um, to move people out of the line of the fires that were cutting across. Apparently it was a pretty harrowing experience. Um, a lot of people were pretty shaken up. And a lot of people were grieving the fact that, you know, what they anticipated their Camino to be that wasn't what it was. Uh, this time in kind of a negative way. You know, it just got us talking about anticipation versus reality. And that's something that 
not only applies to the Camino, but I think applies to life. You can anticipate something, you can plan for something, and spend all of your time just sort of thinking about like, oh, this is how it's going to go, and I've talked to people, and it's going to be like this, and then you just get on the trail, and it's just not that for you, for whatever reason, you know? It's something different, and I think that difference can come with disappointment, it can match your expectations, it can exceed your expectations. I don't know, for me, I've found that this particular Camino, mm, I would find that the the actual Camino part of it, I'm, and again, I'm just kind of starting to get my feet under me here, but it's not really quite what I was hoping it would be. I think it was becoming that, and then my group got buzzed ahead of me by four days. And then it's like, so that community part, you know, is missing. And um, and we've met some new folks along the way, and uh, they've been nice, but uh, but it's still, you know, it's, it's still that sort of bonding time uh, that it takes in those first few days. You miss it, and... Uh, and so what ends up happening is that, you know, you can't help but feel a little melancholy about uh, the trip that could have been. However, we're not even out of Navarra yet. That's the first stage of this thing. We still have two more days. So, so we have a long way to go, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But these are things that run through your mind. Anticipation versus reality. And boy, is that something that we know a lot about in the church world, especially planning something and then actually executing it properly. So it's me again. So I do want to give voice to something that uh, I experienced yesterday. I had a brief uh, twinge of this morning, and I think it's something real, and so I want to uh, be able to talk about it. Uh, And that's sort of paranoia, anxiety, fear. On the Camino. Um, so yesterday, I found myself walking alone, uh, just like I am right now. You know, no crowds. I can't see anybody on the trail, and that's that's never a bad. Nothing has happened. I don't want to give off a false impression. However, yesterday, you know, I'm walking down the trail, and there's a local who uh, is walking towards me. I cut off on the side trail. And then, like, he comes in behind me, he starts following me. And, uh, you know, it's, like I said, it's no big deal. He lives here. Like, I'm the one that's sort of walking through his, you know, hometown or his land or whatever. But there's this sort of paranoia that comes over you of, like, well, dang, man. Like, everybody here knows that I'm American. Everybody here knows that I'm a pilgrim, which means that I'm probably, like, carrying cash or... You know, God knows what. And you just start to have, like, these sort of panicked moments. I want to say it makes you start thinking like you are back home. You know, dang, is somebody going to jump out? Is somebody going to, you know, do I need to keep my wits about me? Do I need to... You know, everything's fine uh, here. I don't think that there will be an incident or anything. I do think that you should be careful. You should be cautious. You You should be mindful of what's happening around you at all times, but you probably shouldn't anticipate that everyone's motives are malicious. In fact, if anything on the Camino, what I've 
learned is that you should anticipate that everyone's intentions are positive. So, so uh, yeah, it's just a thing that happens. Like, you'll find yourself walking alone. Just be mindful. But at the same time, know that you're probably perfectly safe. So yeah, I mean, there's, there is like this whole sense of whatever it is that you think your Camino is going into it and you can do all the research in the world, it's going to be what it's going to be. And I think that's probably what I took away from that first week is like the faster you can come to terms with what your Camino actually is, the more enjoyment you're going to get out of the experience. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It is day seven on the Camino de Santiago, and we are walking today from Los Arcos to Lagroño. Fun facts about Lagroño. Like a few towns before and several ahead, Lagroño owes its success to the construction of the stone bridge over the Rio Ebro, which for a long time was the only suitable crossing point of this wide river. As such, it was able to command a toll to which pilgrims were subjected. Unfortunately, very few of its medieval monuments have survived, nearly all of them destroyed. Lagroño, in fact, given its position both along the Ebro and on the frontier, is one of the most battled-for cities in the north of Spain, in 1092, it was destroyed by El Cid. Which means this will be the last day that we're in Basque country and Navarra. A uh, quick couple of updates. Um, one is, hey, last night we ran into some of the pilgrims that we started with on this trip ask them what their strategy was to sort of circumvent the fires and they all sort of said the same story which was that they stayed in Pamplona for two days and then took a bus ahead basically skipping two stages by bus and then starting again on time so yeah that could have been an option for us had we not sort of just kept walking that would have been that would have been something we could have done um but it was good to see some familiar faces new faces are starting to become more familiar as we go along and um i don't know i you know i, I don't want to jinx it because the last time i talked about sort of my hopefulness for uh community building um everything fell apart so uh so let's just say uh, I remain cautiously optimistic that we'll end up with a community here before too long. Quick thought that I had. Um, I had a weird dream last night. Okay, here was the dream. Uh, I dreamt that I had to fly home uh, today, that um, I needed to get back uh, to work because... Uh, it was Easter week at work, and I had responsibilities at the church uh, that I needed to uh, see through, and um, and so I was like, oh, dang, well, I'll have to fly back from Spain, go back home, work Easter weekend, that'll be fine, and then I'll fly back 
to Spain. And then, like, and then it got really weird because, like, there was an ex-girlfriend driving me to the airport. I don't know. It was strange. But, um, but at some point, uh, on my way to the airport, I realized, wait, 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 wait. I can't just finish the walk to Santiago. I've also got this other thing that I've got to do when I get back and and go back home again. And then I'll have to fly back to Spain again. So it was kind of this back and forth. It was this, it was this dream that was a little bit like uh, I had one leg back home and one leg here. And I was trying to balance them out. And, uh, and I think that's because when you're here... When you're walking, it's just so all-encompassing. Like, there's nothing else. You wake up in the morning, you walk, you get to your albergue, you take a shower, you wash your clothes, you maybe take a nap, you get up, you have a couple hours to explore town, eat dinner, go to bed, get up and do it all over again. It's just... I mean, it's just every day in and out and it's only day seven you guys and I think the that sort of reality was starting to hit my unconscious brain about as uh, heavily as it's hitting my conscious brain right now um, so let's not analyze too much about that dream but let's also say that yeah it can be hard uh, to um to start living this new way of life here uh, and adjust to it. But, yeah, we're getting there. It's, um, it's a process. Trust the process, as they say in Philadelphia. All right, I'll talk to you later. So I'm looking at Lagroño on the horizon, which marks the end of... Uh, the Basque country and Navarra area and the end of our episode of this section of the Camino de Santiago. I gotta say, this may be my last update uh, for this part, so I think what I would say to sum up this region is that it's been uh, sort of encapsulated in death and loss for me which sounds a little morbid but let me explain I had to say goodbye to uh, to my high school group that we had been with when this whole thing first started and that was hard to put them on airplanes and send them back to America and knowing that I still had another month here and there was a part of me that was sort of jealous that they were being able to go back home, even though I've been looking forward to doing the Camino for a long time. Uh, so then there was also climbing over the Pyrenees, seeing all the memorials to pilgrims that had fallen by the way, Father's Day, and this being the first Father's Day where my stepfather had passed away and sort of grieving his loss while on the trail. And then there was the fires and the loss of the sort of Camino family that we were building up and the anticipation that we may lose days on the trail uh, to the wildfires in Navarra, not to mention just the loss um, 
for farmers and um, threats to people's lives in the area. I was leaving Los Arcos today, and there was a uh, graveyard outside of town. And above the graveyard were written the words, uh, I once was what you are, soon you will be what I am. And that, again, that kind of sounds a little morbid, right? This kind of, like, inevitability of death and what awaits us. However, you know, I've been turning that phrase over in my head all day. And there's a part of me that wishes that the future Greg that arrives in Santiago could come back to the Greg that's walking right now and say, I was what you are now soon you will be what I am because there's hope there's hope and so yeah so my Navara experience has been sort of a death a death to my old way of life and the comforts and all the stuff that I had and an embracing of this new trail life and a hope for what tomorrow will bring and a hope that at the end of all of this, that whoever I was, I'll be resurrected as something new at the end. See you on the trail, Buen Camino. Ryan, yeah. thanks so much for talking Navarra and Basque Country with me. We Next up. Yeah, next up. Well, we did a little bit. But. We're heading into La Rioja, which is the wine region of Spain. We're going to be talking about food next it's time. It's going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, we will see you then. Now, here it is, your Camino moment of sin. to you.